video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We, we've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get, make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today in a Veritas study. I grew up a long, long time ago, (laughs) but it was a time and a place when basic Christianity was pretty much assumed by everybody, and it had been assumed for several generations, and we knew not everyone was a Christian. We knew people who did not claim to be Christians, but even they tended to accept the Bible as God's word. We prayed for them. We talked to them. We shared God's word with them. But they didn't argue about God's word. They had a respect for God's word. And for the most part, a respect for us Christians and certainly a respect for Jesus. 
Now, that may sound like a really great time to be alive, and in a way it was, but there's some problems with that kind of atmosphere. One thing it did is it led us to a kind of complacency. I mean, it would have been shocking to us, I think, for anyone to have said, how do you know that what you believe is true? I just don't think anybody would have thought about asking. It was just assumed to be true. Went back for generations. We were a Christian culture. We were a Christian society. We were a Christian nation as far as we thought. Now, we knew out there there were people who had other beliefs. I'm not saying we were totally ignorant, but in our environment, you know, we just kind of assumed it. If anyone had happened to ask us that question, how do you know what you believe is true? Most of us would just say, well, that's just what we believe. We've always believed it. Parents believed it. Our grandparents believed it. It never occurred to us that anyone might actually ask us why we believed it. And so I think many, many Christians, and even today, probably were raised a lot like I was raised, and they've never developed an ability to answer those kind of questions. But we've got to accept the fact that times have really changed significantly. And I believe with all my heart that our ignorance in the church about basic apologetics has to change. It can't go on, not in the day we're living in. We're living in a world that for several decades now has been rushing headlong with increasing velocity into a dark kind of secularism. And it seems to be becoming more and more non-Christian every day. So we Christians must be able to articulate how we know that what we believe is true. I mean, do we just believe something because we were raised that way? We have no idea whether it's true or not. I mean, that's pretty dumb. We need to be able to, to tell people how we know it's true. Now, of course, we need to be gracious about it. We don't need to be pugnacious. We need to be persuasive. Because it turns out, I hope you realize this, we just need to dig into it a little bit. God has seen fit to leave us with an amazing amount of evidence. And he wants us to share that evidence with people who don't know the truth. But the sad truth is, too many of us Christians have neglected to equip ourselves with the knowledge of that evidence. We have just kind of presumed that it's true. And then we don't have to work much at that. We don't have to discipline ourselves. If God wants somebody, he knows how to get them. But he's given us evidence to share with people, and he's commanded us to do that. We'll look at that verse in just a minute. So, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at a lot of this evidence over the next several weeks. And I hope you will stay with us and absorb as much of it as you can. I live in Teleco Plains, Tennessee. It's a very small town, beautiful, beautiful part of the country. If you've never been here, you ought to visit sometime. Gorgeous mountains, river, waterfalls, beautiful place. I was raised here, but I lived in Texas for many, many years of my life in the Dallas area. Some of us Dallas. In January of 1999, my wife Vicky and I moved back to Teleco Plains. She to be here for my mom. She was aging and having more and more medical problems, physical problems. And in the fall of 1999, I began teaching math and eventually physics and ACT prep at Teleco Plains High School. From 1999 to 2006, I was the FCA sponsor at Teleco Plains High School. And then in 2006, 
after a lot of prayer and thought and conviction and study and concern, I created a brand new Christian club. We called it the Veritas Club at the, at the high school, before school, one day a week. Veritas is the Latin word for truth. That must be the motto at Harvard University. Actually, their entire motto is Veritas Christos et Ecclesia, truth for Christ and the church. They don't really like that motto anymore. <laughs> just as soon that they had it. But we, we like it. So we just said, we'll call ourselves a Veritas Club, Truth Club. The motivation to start the club was my grief and frustration that it seemed to me, this was not a scientific study on my part, it just seemed to me that we're, we were losing more and more of our kids to secularism once they graduated from high school and left home. And sadly, it seems to me now that we're losing them at an even earlier age, many of them before they finish high school. Maybe that's partly due to social media. I don't, I don't know. But, of course, the environment is getting more and more secular that the kids are growing up in. But they're dropping out of church. Many of them are. I know that problem's not limited to Teleco Plains. In fact, it's probably less of a problem in Teleco Plains than it is in other places in the country. But I thought, one of the reasons that many of them may be dropping out is that they're just not equipped. In our churches, we just may not have been doing a good job of equipping them to answer the really tough questions they're going to get when they go to college or go into the workforce, secular workforce, and they start interacting with more secular thinking people, especially on college and university campuses. I'm afraid that sometimes in our churches, we've done a pretty good job of trying to give our kids a basic foundation in the gospel and in the Bible and Bible, some of many of God's commands and truths that we find in scripture. But sometimes we don't quite go far enough with getting them equipped to give the evidence so they'll know it for themselves for one thing, but also so they can give it to other people when they run into people who just don't believe the Bible, don't believe in God, don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. The truth is, I can remember going through some of these struggles like this of my own, right? personally. That was way back in the 1960s. And I left Teleco Plains and enrolled at the University of Tennessee. I, I struggled with some of, the, some of these things. This is not a new thing. It's just that the problem seems to have been growing exponentially in the past few years. Too many of our kids, and adults too, for that matter, just don't know how to explain to secular people how we know what we believe is true. But God has seen fit to put a verse in the Bible. He used the Apostle Peter to write it down. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And he says, Sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you yet with gentleness and reverence. Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Make sure he's Lord of your life. And always be ready. You hear it? Always be ready. To do what? To make a defense. King James says, give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give an account or a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. 
That's a command, guys. A command from our Lord. So that was our theme verse for this Veritas Club, and our goal was to help them get equipped and answer some of those tough questions they're likely going to have to deal with. Questions that a lot of unbelievers enjoy asking Christians. <laughs> Skeptics have learned that many, many Christians don't have good answers, especially young college students. So, I mean, questions like, how do you really know that the Bible can be trusted? And they'll give all kinds of reasons why they don't believe the Bible can be trusted. How can you be so sure Jesus really did rise from the dead? And they'll give you stories and, and, and things that they believe may explain the, the, what they call the myth of the resurrection. Our kids know how to handle it. Why are you Christians so intolerant? And many of our students don't quite understand the intolerance issue. The fact is, secularists are turning that term on its head. They're often the intolerant ones. Don't you know the Bible's full of errors and inaccuracies and contradictions? They try to intimidate kids with that belief that the Bible can't be trusted. How can there be a good God out there with all the evil that's out there in the world? I mean, wouldn't he stop it? If he's an all-powerful God, why does he let this evil go on? He's either weak or he's bad, or he just doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, and a lot of our students don't know how to handle that. How can you be so arrogant and unkind as to tell someone else that what they believe is wrong? Don't you realize their truth is just as good as your truth? You realize, don't you, that all the real scientists recognize evolution as unquestioned fact. Now, that's not true, of course. But a lot of college professors and others want to make people, students think it's true. <laughs> Did you realize the Bible is actually an evil book? It even advocates the slaughter of babies, but you didn't know that. Why are you Christians so judgmental? Don't you recognize that the beliefs of other people are just as valid as yours? By the way, don't you realize that Christians have been responsible for most of the world's problems? Ever heard of the Crusades? And whether witch trials, inquisition, slavery, Christians were behind all of that. And a lot of our students just don't know how to answer those kind of questions. And the truth is, you, you may be able to answer them. I don't know. But there really are good, solid answers to these kind of questions. But I became convinced that what happens to many of our students is they start hearing questions like these. They get exposed to this kind of thinking. And many of them just feel overwhelmed. The tendency is just to pull into a shell of some kind, retreat quietly, and just maybe quietly kind of drop out of church, never getting the answers. They've done some surveys about this kind of thing. In some places they say, I'm not sure this can be verified either, but as many as 70% or more of our students drop out when they graduate from high school. It probably varies from place to place. But we wanted to help them get some answers. Now, listen, guys, in order to get equipped to give these kind of answers, it takes some mental effort. It really does. A lot of the things in the Christian life that make us stronger in the Lord take some mental discipline. And many of us Christians aren't used to that. We're used to just kind of sitting and listening and letting it flow through our brains briefly. <laughs> but it doesn't stick. We don't, we don't learn it well enough to share it. 
Sometimes it requires mental work. If I were to ask you, or maybe Christians in general, uh, right now, do you love Jesus? Many people, many Christians would answer that question, oh yes, I love Jesus with all my heart. And that's wonderful. We need to love Jesus with all our heart. But you know what Jesus said? The greatest commandment is, you remember it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But Jesus didn't stop there, did he? He said, not just with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You know where I'm going. <laughs> all your mind. We have to love God with our minds, not just our heart, with our soul and our mind. That means everything we've got, but it certainly includes our minds. God tells us in his word, we have to gird up the loins of our minds. We have to get our minds ready for action. The Christian life is supposed to be a life of discipline, guys, mental discipline. If you look at the list of the fruit of the spirit, last thing on the list is self-control. Galatians chapter 5. Far too many Christians have drifted into kind of mental laziness. Our schools sometimes encourage that these days. They don't even make the kids learn the multiplication tables in some places. They, they don't learn how to do the kind of math that requires real mental effort. They figure out ways to make it easy. And kids are getting cheated. They're not learning to discipline their minds. Now, I, I know some of them do. Some people will learn to discipline their minds. To, for example, if they want a really good ACT score, they know they got to work hard for that. they got to do a lot of study, a lot of memory work, a lot of learning tips and, and how best to figure this test out. And they, they put a lot of hours into that over a period of months to improve their ACT score. Some of them care enough about their class ranking that they'll put a lot of mental discipline into their studies so that they can, can bring their ranking up. Some of them learn that they've got, if they're going to really succeed and do well in a job, we have to be disciplined. We have to be mentally disciplined. Or if we want to excel in sports, we've got to be disciplined. Or if we want to excel in dance or gymnastics or whatever it is we want to do, we've got to discipline ourselves to accomplish greatness in these fields. We know that. And most of us kind of admire people who learn to discipline themselves. We watch them on TV when they perform and things like that, and we admire them. But the question is, are we putting enough energy into discipline our own minds for Jesus' sake, not just to get a higher ACT score, not just to get a higher GPA, not just to get a better job, not just to be a greater athlete, but to bring Jesus glory. And guys, it's not okay when we say, well, I'm going to use discipline in every area of my life, but mm, Jesus, no, I've got time for that. We've got to learn how to obey God's command, First Peter 3.15. It turns out that God's chosen to leave plenty of evidence for anyone who's willing to consider it with an openness to go where the evidence leads. Evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look at that. Evidence from archaeology. We're going to look at that. Evidence from fulfilled prophecy. We're going to look at that. Evidence from manuscripts and early church history. Evidence from molecular biology. Fascinating evidence. Evidence from the second law of thermodynamics. Evidence from the fine-tuning of the universe. And Lord willing, we're going to be looking at some of that evidence in upcoming weeks. It'll take us a while to work through it. I think it's also important for us to understand some of the strategies that our enemy, the devil, has been using to deceive a lot of people. So he's giving them substitutes. 
for God's truth. Some worldviews that are very, very destructive. They're, they're actually false religions. They may not call themselves religions, but they are. Satan's devised that to try to supplant true biblical Christianity in many people's minds. We'll look at some of that, Lord willing. There are a lot of opinions today about who Jesus is. But God has given us lots of evidence that we can know who the true Jesus is. And we can see the irrationality of thinking other things about Jesus, which many people do. We'll look at that, Lord willing. The dominant religious worldview in America today may be a religion that tries to deny its religion called secular humanism. But critical theory is big, too. Also, Marxism. We're going to have a look at that and try to understand how they contrast with Christianity. Kids need to understand that, and so do adults. Lord willing, we'll spend some time thinking about some of the other tough questions that young Christians need to be prepared to answer these days. We'll learn the importance of having a spiritual mentor. We all need that. We'll learn the danger of the moral trap that a lot of young adults fall into. We'll learn about the different kinds of skeptics. They really aren't all alike. We have to learn how to deal with different kinds of skeptics. We, we need to learn the importance of being able to stand alone. There are times when Christians have to be willing to stand alone when everybody else is going in the wrong direction. Before we stop today, I want to just briefly look one more time at what you might call our theme verse, that First Peter 3.15. We'll be coming back to it later from time to time. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, set apart Christ as Lord in your life, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. I wanted to look at that word defense just a moment. The Greek word for defense in this verse is apologia, apologia. And that word is the basis for the Christian area of study that we sometimes call apologetics, apologetics, basically a study of the evidence that God's given us so we can use it to help others know how we can be so sure that what we believe is true. See, God's given us a command. And over the next several weeks, I'm hoping that with God's help, we can get a little better prepared to obey this command. The word veritas is not a Greek word. It's a Latin word for truth. And before we get into the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, I want to say just a few words about the word truth itself, because we're living in a time that's very confused about that. Veritas is a Latin word. The Greek word for truth in the New Testament is aletheia, aletheia. But it turns out that the word truth shows up a lot in the Bible. God's telling us that from his perspective, it is a very, very important word. In the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, the night before he was crucified, he asked his father this. He said, Father, sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. A few minutes before he prayed that on the same evening, last evening he spent with his disciples before his crucifixion, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And the life. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. On that same evening, he referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth three different times. He's the Spirit of Truth. 
a little earlier in his ministry, Jesus had said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's really big on the truth. There was another occasion where Jesus was dealing with some of the Jews who claimed to believe in him, but were really not believing in him. They were really opposed to him. And he said, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires, saints' desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. God called himself the God of truth. In Romans 1.18, Paul warns us of those who will suppress the truth. The wrath of God, he said, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. A few verses after that, Paul tells us that those who suppress the truth choose to exchange the truth about God for a lie. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. So God is called the God of truth. Jesus called himself the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. God's word is called the word of truth. Satan is called the father of lies. No truth in him. So the truth is very, very important to God. So one of the strategies of our enemy, the devil, is to try to get people confused about the truth, to redefine the truth. And so you have all kinds of people today who will say things like, well, you've got your truth. I've got my truth. There's a problem with that, guys. That can't be true if we're disagreeing with each other. Truth is what corresponds to reality. If your so-called truth doesn't correspond to reality, it really isn't truth. You can't make it true by just wanting it to be true. And in spite of what Satan may want us to believe, we are not our own little gods. We do not get to define reality. And for whatever reason, it's possible for me to believe something is true that really isn't true. It doesn't correspond to reality. In that case, it's not okay for me to call it truth anyway and say, well, it's just my truth. In that case, I'm either confused or I'm deceived. I have believed a lie. And Satan would love for as many of us as possible to believe some of his lies and call it my truth. And I'm urging you guys, be on guard for that. Don't listen to the foolish ways the world talks these days. This is huge. We must not play loose and fast with the word truth. Truth is what corresponds to reality. Got it? You don't get to decide what it is. I don't get to decide what it is. God decides what it is. It's what corresponds to reality. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a command in your word that we need to be able to make a defense, to give an answer to anyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's in us. Lord, we, we want to take that command seriously. 
we know that it requires some effort on our part, some mental effort. It requires getting equipped. But Father, we know, you know better than we do, that we're living in a world that's very, very opposed to the truth in many cases. A world that's very, very confused about the truth. A world that's very, very deceived, very, very blind. And Lord, we know we're living among some people who are pretty deceptive and slick with their ability to persuade us if we don't know where we stand or why we stand there. If we don't know why we believe what is true is really true, if we don't know the evidence you've given us. So Lord, help us to be determined to be bright lights in this dark world. Help us to be determined to get equipped so we can be more faithful at sharing your truth, your word, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the lost, and confused, and dying world. So we offer ourselves to you. Give us grace to stay in this battle, to focus on you, and to get it right, and to not waste our time, to redeem the time until the day you say it's over and call us home. We want you to get glory. In Jesus' name, amen.